Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. My name is Travis. I'm the host. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hoobazoo Network. You can find out more on hoobazoo.com. And I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce Asak of Asak Real Estate, Army National Guard veteran, Mark Holmes of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, Semper Savage Salad Dressing, Bottom Gun Coffee, and Quezon Shaving Company. And this is August. We're rolling right through the year. And I, I want to say a couple months ago, I, I got an Instagram message from my guest, uh, Keidra Houston. She's an Air Force veteran, 20 years, retired, with a very interesting story. And, you know, she has some stuff coming up, and I'm pleased to be talking with her now. Lakidra, welcome, or key, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's a small world. We started talking over the subject of military sexual trauma, or MST, and you had sent me stuff, some stuff about your story. And I had talked to Heath Phillips a while ago. We've kept in contact over the years, and you know him. And then I saw you talking with Ellsworth Williams. Uh, I, we don't, I know him, but we don't really know each other. And you all have a, a sexual trauma conference, MST conference in Florida at the end of August. So it's a really opportune time to get to talk with you. Before we get into the conference and what you're trying to do with your advocacy, Kind of tell us your your story a little bit of being in the military, if you could. Yes. Yeah, so um, I joined the military um, uh, a year after high school. So I went to college, uh, played volleyball and joined the military um, a little bit after. Uh, no, a little bit before 9-11 had happened. So very excited um, and then got scared when I saw 9-11. Um, so um, I went to basic training in January of 2002 and uh, became actually went to basic and was told I was going to be a cop and never had a desire to be a cop. I wanted to be medical. So um, went in and uh, dealt with a lot as security forces. Um, so it was a good you know, job at that time. Uh, I went to my first duty station. So within six months of me being in the military, it was less than six months. Um, I was sexually assaulted by my leader. And so um, from that point on, I um, I was struggling. Uh, mentally and I couldn't um, focus on what I was supposed to do the mission it was just it was hard for me to focus on the mission but um, basically uh, I did 10 years as a cop and 10 years as recruiting I know we're going to go on my story a little later so I kind of jumped ahead but 10 years as a cop 10 years as a recruiting and um, I was scared to share my story because I didn't want anybody to believe me so I just kept things inside of me and then I decided to uh, expose it after um, one of the girls I recruited um, had went through the same thing I went through. So um, I stood up for myself and started fighting and spent 10 years and it was, it was tough, but I finally um, understood that there's more uh, to this. And even though the military, I went through things, the military did bring me things as far as leadership, as far as me being able to have a voice, the resiliency it taught me. So those things, those tools I learned, I learned those uh, going forward. So um, after that 20 years, um, you know, retired, I did recruiting in Central Texas where a lot of things happened with Vanessa Gian and a lot of those cases in uh, Central Texas. So when seeing that and being in the midst of that, um, I start fighting. So I don't want to go back to the nuts and bolts of the attack. It, it had to be traumatic. And it's my understanding, learning about this, that a lot of MST victims can still feel that very keenly. Oh, yeah. 
what I'd like to ask you is, is this, you know, I went in the, in the military, you went in the military, we both served. And, and even before we swear the oath, right, we, we are told about the, the honor, courage and commitment. No man left behind. We've got your six. There's an element of underlying trust in people around you and your leadership. What was it like having that trust shattered in this way? More than anything oh, else. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. But that when that trust was shattered, I felt like I couldn't turn to anybody. So my best friend became the bottle. So I started drinking alcohol. Um, I was scared to interact with anybody. I was scared to even trust a leader. I was scared to be along with the leader because seeing someone who resembled him or maybe his smell or anything, it triggered me. So I would shut down. I would go in my room. I would I would scream, cry, yell. I went through a lot. Um, so who do you have? You have nobody. When you do tell your friends, they're like, oh, you know, he's like that. He's he's joking. He He's, you know, they would make excuses for the sexual assault or sexual, you know, harassment. So it was hard. It's a man's military. That's what I would hear. So you had no trust, not in your leaders, but you didn't have trust in the people around you at all. So um, I was on the island by myself. So again, drinking and uh, attempted suicide in 2009 to cope with everything. And that leads me to my next thing is some of the MST survivors I've known can't continue to serve. It causes problems. I mean, you know, Heath had very real fallout problems from what he suffered in the Navy, but, but you stayed in. Mm-hmm. And, and so while this trust was broken, why did you choose to stay in and continue serving when for many others, you know, and it's their choice. And I, and I, I've never been in MST, but you took a different path. So the reason why I stayed in is because I said, there's a reason for me to be here. I went through this, but there's a reason I have to either. I have to fight in the uniform and that's, I think that's what was for me. I want to fight in the inside of it and figure out what was going on with leadership and understanding a little bit more. And then I want to also become a leader that people can come to me and talk to me. So I wanted to be opposite of my leaders. When we struggle, sometimes we run away. I'm going to say run away, but we step away from things because of the fear and things it gives us. But for me, it was, I have to fight to do this. I have to make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else while I'm serving. So that's what gave me the push to stay in and continue fighting. And then also to seek the help. And I knew, and the biggest thing was, I knew if I left, I wouldn't, I had no, nothing planned. So it was, was I going to go home to um, other issues that I went through or should I stay in the military and figure this out? So I stayed in to figure it out. Well, it, it, it's, it's really insightful what you just said, because a lot of times I wonder, I mean, I mean, you know, you're a, a female service member and I, I've always questioned because I don't know, well, mm-hmm. if this happens to a woman, why don't the other women in her section platoon, you know, squadron, you know, battalion rally around this and say to the leadership, hey, this happened to one of us. We don't want it to happen to us. You've got to fix this. The whole request mass process, you know, the leadership demands a lot of us. You know, I was enlisted, right? They can order us to our death, literally. You know, why, 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 why can't, why don't other women? And I'm just saying, because this, this is just what I've heard. Mm-hmm. A lot of times this happens to a female and she finds out that 
the women don't want to get involved and they don't right. want to be associated with her. Correct. Do you have any insight on that or am I just reading that wrong? No, you're correct. Um, if you ever say anything you have, it seems like more division when you step out and say what happened. So when I would tell a friend in the background of what happened, it was like, oh, well, what did you do to cause it? It was a victim shaming. So it's how, why, why would I tell another woman if I'm getting shamed every time I mention it? You know, why that it was no support system. It was, it was more of, Again, like you said, if if I hang out with you, I'm going to look bad. I'm going to look like the troublemaker. So they did push me away when I did mention it. And also victim shamed me. Um, you know, were you acting whorish? Those things I would hear. And some of these people I thought were my best friends. So it's at the point where you just don't say anything to anybody. And it's sad that we don't rally around. So I promised myself that I was going to start doing that. I want to be different from the other women that I saw. And unfortunately, going through the ranks, it still was worse. It's you can be an E7, you know, E7 and you still tell somebody else what happened to you. And it's still like, hey, but some things we just got to keep within ourselves, you know, and also really? you're hearing about. Yeah. And you're hearing about murders. You're hearing about people who who step up and say something. Now they're getting killed. They're they're dying. So now nobody really wants to get involved or say anything if people who are speaking up are getting killed. I do want to go into that because uh, I do want to go into that. But. Mm -hmm. here's one of the things that, that, you know, I, I learned about your story. We talked on Instagram and I'm like, okay, this, this is not your typical story. And I definitely think you have something to add here is you said several times before we talked today and on this show that you were alone mm -hmm. and then you decided to stay in and fight. But really what was the cow to say, you know what? I'm not going to get out. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to get into the bottle. I'm going to put my uniform on and I'm going to go to battle because I think I can make change. You know, isn't, isn't that real leadership in a way? It is. And the thing about, we forget leadership. We forget how to lead our people. We, we focus so much on managing, managing them. Oh, you should do this. You have to do this this way. But people have feelings like what is going on? Why are you late to work? Don't just yell at me and give me paperwork for being late to work. Don't yell at me because I'm drinking. You don't even understand the underlying issue. So true leadership is sitting down, talking to your people and understand what is truly going on outside the uniform and inside the uniform. Leadership is about motivating people to to be greater than who they think they could be. So if they have trauma or something going on as a leader, we have to step up and we, we see things that are that are off, that are that are against their norm. We need to step up and figure out what's going on. So I wanted to be the person to say, hey. I'm going to be different from my leaders. I'm going to step out and figure out what's going on. And I've done that. Now, there were times that I didn't because I had the fear of, you know, saying something or the fear of I knew something was going on, but I didn't want to get involved similar to my situation. But then I remember how I felt. I remember being alone. So now guess what I have to do? I have to actually go out there and start doing the work. And that's what I did. Stayed in to do the work. As you stayed in to do the mm -hmm. work. Did you ever connect with other service members, male or female, that were on the same wavelength on you, same wavelength as you, and said, you know, this is a good idea, I'm with you? Or or were you truly alone your whole 20 years? I'm going to tell you, I had people who supported me in the background. Nobody stood was beside me. Um, there were a few that would just be like, keep on fighting, keep on fighting. But it was more of nobody wants to get involved. Nope. 
it is hard to say nobody wants to get involved. My true people who actually stood up for me were people who had got out, veterans or actual MST survivors. So that's all I had. So when we're in uniform, it's just unfortunately people don't want to be involved in things. One of the things that I understand and what I saw when I was in the Marine Corps is you get involved. There's two, there's two sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. You get involved in a very real event. Like, you know, this person is not, you know, inflating the facts. They're presenting a good thing, regardless mm-hmm. of who they are, their moral standing, whatever, a wrong was committed and, and you've got to fix that. And then, you know, I've seen it where, okay, you, you get ready to go to bat for somebody and find out that, you know, they got mad at their section chief and mm-hmm. you know, platoon sergeant. So, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get him because this accusation will end in the career. Mm-hmm. How do we get around that? Because from what I've seen in the little time I was in, you kind of said what I already know. The military does not like bumps. They don't like squeaky wheels and they will pound them out. So, so how do you be the squeaky wheel? effectively um so you have to remember your why why are you doing it and you have to be honest in everything you do um as you mentioned previously yes you have those ones that are doing it out of spite but it's different when you have somebody doing out of spite and doing out of actual hurt and trauma so that's the thing there's two different two different things with it i never had anger towards the the person who did it i had anger towards his actions but i never I couldn't, I couldn't understand that moment. It was just so, I was so scared to even say anything because I knew he had such a reputation because I'm a very forgiving person. Um, at that time I struggled, but now how I see things, I'm very forgiving. But I just remembered um, my why, why am I doing this? It's bigger than me. It's more people out there. And then remembering that when I attempted suicide, I, I was saved for a reason. You know, somebody jumped out and my was my ex-husband jumped out and got the gun from me. And I was in a corner hiding. I don't know how he found me. But to this day, I'm like, wow, it's a reason why I'm here. It's a reason why I should fight. So you have to you have to be that squeaky. Well, they're going to get mad at you. But until change happens, people are losing their lives until change happens. And we understand true leadership. I'm going to keep on fighting. And we have to remember that the why. So the why leads me to my next part of this that, you know, you've alluded to in other conversations and what I've seen is, and the most recent example is what happened in Fort Hood with those two uh, army service members. I forget. Hang on a second. I'm going to edit this out. I know best in the, that's like, yeah, Fort Hood. Um, that was not the one I'm looking for. Hang on. Fort Hood is just a. There's so many. Right. Uh, this, uh, Fort Hood shoulder. Oh my God. I had his name right, right here. He's from Brockton. Hang on a second. Oh, Elder Fernandez. Okay. The power yeah. of editing that will all be edited out, but let's, so. You know, this leads me to the next part of what I want to talk about. And you've alluded to it several times before, you know, we talk today is people getting hurt for speaking out or for acting out. And, and 
you know, I don't want to bash on Fort Hood, but Fort Hood is the most public examples of these instances that happened to not only a female, but to a man. Let's let's start with Vanessa Guillen. Mm-hmm. She, she was one of those who was like, hey, something happened to one of my troop and it's wrong. And from what I understand is she, she tried to go up the chain of command. The chain of command was not discreet and she got killed for that. Mm-hmm. And then Elder Fernandez was being messed with sexually by, you know, and hazed. And his leadership didn't pick up on it, kept, you know, hammering him down. And he mysteriously died. Is this a larger problem in the military where it's it's better for a soldier, sailor, Marine, Air Force, you know, person to die than to deal with the problem? Because that's kind of the message they're sending. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if they realize that. Am, am I reading that right? What's, what's your view on that? I mean, I think it's across the board. Fort Hood is, it has so many soldiers. So there is, that place is known for a lot. But it's all over. You have Fort Bragg incidences. You have Hawaii. You have a lot of bases that we're even looking to now that have a lot of things happen. Um, Asia Graham, she's another person who, uh, you know, went out about a sexual assault. And then she got, they said it was a suicide, but she was mysteriously, mysteriously dead. So it's so many, so many people out there. So many, I mean, it is a huge problem. It is a huge problem. Think about now. Let's go all the way back to Lavina Johnson. Okay. okay. What she happened. They said it was a suicide gunshot to the head burned, you know, in her private area, those things, her father has been fighting for years and nothing has happened. So this is a bigger problem. I mean, it even went to the Congress and went up to all these, you know, politicians. But at the end of the day, her case has not been reopened or they close it really fast. But it hasn't been reopened to investigate all the facts and everything they have. So it's like, regardless of what you do, even if you have facts, even if you have the evidence in front of your face, when it comes to the military, they hide a lot of things because I feel like they want to protect their leaders instead of protecting the victims. Well, that's. That's what I come to, and I hate to say it, and some of the things that have happened in the last year with Afghanistan and a couple other things mm-hmm. that we're not going to get into right now, but there's instances where it's like, wait a minute, you know, the, the same leadership that will, you know, end your career for being, you know, two pounds overweight or five minutes late or, you know, having a uniform infraction, you know, is like, no, nobody saw anything. I see, he's, no, no one knows anything. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it sends a bad message, right? right. Uh, you're trying to, you know, retain soldiers. You're trying to increase enlistment. And I, I have to think this is a contributing factor to why some people are like, no, nah, I don't want my daughter to join the military. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I definitely, so and as I, um, I did a, uh, a TV show a few um, days ago um, on the news, but I went through the same. I told them as a recruiter in Central Texas, it was hard for me to recruit. Like I would have to go in there and help bring all these people into the military. And they were the first thing the parents will ask me, will my kid get sexually assaulted? What do I have to do? What's going to happen? Will you promise me that you will protect them? I didn't know what to say. I couldn't promise them that I could protect their child. Once they left my office, what can I do? So it was hard for 10 years of being a recruiter to go out and say, 
join, you know, join the military when I know what was done to me, um, what I was, what was done to other people. It was very hard. It was, it was hard. And I felt like a hypocrite for even being a recruiter. So it was hard, but this is why our numbers is down because everybody's bringing these injustices to the light, to the forefront. And so now people are really watching and paying attention. And that's the thing, right? You, you know, I got asked last year, hey, would you have your son join, you know, the Marine Corps right now, you mm-hmm. know, with what happened in Afghanistan? I'm like, probably not. And, and it goes back to what I I feel earlier, right, is we make a promise to defend, you know, America from all enemies, right? And mm-hmm. it's really shocking that sometimes the worst enemies are right next to us in formation, Lakedra. That's true. And sometimes I would want to go overseas and go to war. I prefer go to war than stay here and fight because I was fighting in my own country for a freedom just to be heard. I was fighting for other people to be heard. So it's like it's so hard to to fight for a country that won't listen to you, that don't won't even you know help you or won't even help other people. So my fight is to make sure that everybody that I, you know, moving forward, I didn't say anything when it first happened to me. I didn't say anything. I didn't report it. I was too scared. I was fearful. And sometimes it bothers me, you know, that I didn't say anything, but I'm like, if I said something, I would have been dead. I really honestly think if I would have said something, I would have been dead. So I definitely am one of those people that I'm happy I didn't say anything in the moment, but Still, it's the fear of seeing other people's evidence and when watching them and talking to them and advocating for them. I would have preferred going overseas and getting killed than staying here and fighting for <laughs> fighting for an injustice or fighting for things when, you know, my own country is not supporting me or supporting us. You carried this weight mm-hmm. for so long. You, you, mm-hmm. you said the bottle was your friend. You said you attempted suicide in 2009. You carried this for a very long time with Kedra. So what was it like when you finally got it out and, and, and addressed it and let people know that this did happen to you? What, what was that like for you? Um, it felt like a weight was lifted off of me. Like it felt like I could breathe. You know, I felt like I was in a bubble for so long. I don't even remember half of my career because I was either drunk or I was so traumatized. I don't really remember the good times. Um, so it was, a it was a weight off and it was when I finally came out, I was able to seek help. And when I say seek help, um, we do these, you know, uh, military trainings that give you and actually go in and talk to the therapist, but I was, it was a blocking there. I couldn't, I couldn't listen. So when that happened, I was able to listen more. I was able to heal. I was able to speak freely. Um, it was like a switch tank, uh, change for me. And during this time, also understand, during that 2009, my sister was sexually assaulted and she was killed. Even though hers was outside the military, it still affected me. So when I knew her, I had to keep on fighting. Once she passed away, I had to fight even harder for sexual assault victims. You retired not that long ago, correct? Correct. March. Mm-hmm. But that does not stop what you're trying to do. In fact, if, if if I had to, you know, say, looking at what you're doing now, you have fully embraced this as your mission and your purpose in life. What do you do for people going through MST situations, male or female, Lakedra? So basically um, what I do is 
first thing, an emotional support. That's what we do. Emotional support and then resources. So what we do is I just started a Facebook or a group meet group and we go in there and we talk about what we can do to support each other. We talk about their cases moving forward. I do public speaking about it. So that's what I do. I am their, their support system. We all have the same story. Nobody supported us. We all felt alone. So we have to make sure we support um, each other. Certainly talking to Heath, you know, that support group is important, that emotional support. So that's what I do. Resources, make sure we uh, take care of them and just be there for them. So hypothetically, if, if I may, mm -hmm. you, you get a, a soldier or, or sailor, you know, because he told me one of the things that became evident is his parents immediately noticed something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And they didn't quite know how to draw out of him. And other MST survivors I've talked to said the same thing is really the first people that kind of notice that, that something's wrong is, and it's kind of messed up to say this. It's not the people you are bunking with, going on formation runs with, or, you know, hanging out in the common area with. It's your parents and siblings. What should a parent or sibling who's thousands of miles away potentially from their loved one do when they start noticing these kinds of, of, of distancing from, from that? Is there anything they can do right now? Or, you know, what's, what's, what's the course of action to take? So it's hard to answer that question because um, I don't, I didn't have that parental support system Okay. Um, when it came to that. And there are other survivors who went through the same thing. Um, you know, told not to seek therapy, told to pray about it, you know, those things. But I would say for me as a mother moving forward, um, the biggest thing you need to do is talk to your child. If you see those things, see what's going on, um, ask them, you know, how, you know, how are things going on, uh, going on with you or what's going on? How has the military been for you or whatever situation, how, how, how was life basically try to figure out just what's going on. And then as you see more, just break it down. Okay. So what is actually, um, I see that you've changed. I see certain things going on. Is there anything you want to talk to me about? And sometimes we have to add the, ask those questions. Has anybody touched you? Has anybody made you feel uncomfortable? We have to be 100% honest with them. Once we see those things, and even if we can't reach them, bring a therapist in, bring somebody in they can talk to, but make your children feel comfortable to tell you that it's okay to come to me and talk to me and be, and don't be judgmental. Don't be biased when they tell you what's going on. They just need a listening ear. They don't need opinions. They need a listening ear when they're going through these traumas. And we have to be do that as parents. So let's, let's move this around a little bit. So you're the E1 to E4 and this happens mm -hmm. to all ranks, but let's just say you're in, in your, your service range, you're an E1, you're an E3, and you're just start off your military career and this happens. What's your suggestion to do? Because in, in the Marine Corps, you're told something like this happens, you know, you, you go to your section head, you go to your platoon sergeant and request mass happens and this will be done in 24 hours. And I found out that's not the case. What's, what's the correct action to do if this happens, it happens to you? The first thing is find somebody. I don't trust the military when it comes to this. And this is just my opinion. Okay. Um, I don't trust the sharp system. I don't trust anything. I don't, I just don't. Um, so honestly, what I would do is reach out to somebody outside, which is their, you know, maybe a parent or support system you have, let them know what's going on. 
talk to your Congress, talk to them and just let them know, hey, I don't feel comfortable with going direct to the leadership. But understand if you do report it, you know, there are consequences with that, unfortunately. So I would say get a good support system, talk to somebody and let them know, hey, this is what's going on and seek therapy. We have things called the Vet Center that help actual active duty members. They fall under VA, but not really, but they do help um, active duty members. So go to the Vet Center. They're in every state. Um, you can find them and talk to somebody, you know, a therapist, get a therapist to figure out those emotions. And then honestly, be ready because these this is going to be triggering. So make sure you're ready to fight. When you're ready to fight, speak out. Now, I was going to ask you about the SHARP system. Mm -hmm. he, he, he's talked about it a whole lot, but you don't trust that system either. Why is that? Um, different cases that I've been a part of and just seeing the SHARP complaints and how they were handled. Um, it seemed more of a victim shaming. I'll go back to that. It seemed more of protecting the leader, not a protecting the victim. And even when I made a public speech about um, with the National Crime Victims I, uh, Institute, I went and talked to them publicly. And there were military liaisons there, victim advocates, Sharp, all those people there. And hearing how they responded to me, that's how I knew the system was still broke. Because some of their comments was, oh, well, we didn't, we don't believe that happened. No, the Sharp system is supposed to help you. No, it's, it's done this. So as I was speaking, when they stood up and answered, asked questions, I said, so what about Vanessa Gann? What about all these people who have spoke up and said something? What about uh, Asia Graham? What about all those people who have reported to Sharp and end up getting killed or victim shamed or whatever? And then nobody could say anything. That's the thing. The Sharp is, to me, it's always protecting the leaders. I think this, the sharp system needs to be taken at the leader's hands and they should not determine what goes on. They should not. Well, well, well there's two, there's two thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. there, there's one thought where I've talked to a couple other MST survivors who are like, you know, we just need to, to improve sharp for leadership. And there's the other thought saying, you know what, forget the military leadership. We need to have a civilian oversight entity to handle sharp cases and it's it's funny it's about halfway down the middle some people in the military do not want civilians poking around some people are like you know what this is not going to change they brought it on themselves let's bring civilians in to over, oversee this what's what's your thought on that so i believe that we should bring civilians in now they do have civilians you know doing sharp sapper those they do have civilians in that my issue with the sharp system is that I know for in the army and in, in one instance, I know for a fact, they rotate in and out. So you have, may have somebody there for two years and somebody else comes in and it's not, it's on a voluntary basis. So it's not, um, or not is an involuntary basis for some of them. So to me, it's like, why have somebody rotate in two years? You, you're just learning everything and you're getting out and leaving and going back to your previous MOS or AFSE. So it's more of a voluntary or involuntary thing, but it's not people who saying, hey, I 100% want to be a, you know, a sharp person. I want to advocate and I want to stay in this role. It's they're switching in and out. It's no consistency. So that's why I think civilians should stay in it because we can have consistency and we can have people that stay in there and don't have to PCS or don't have to go back to their career field. So to me, adding civilian into the sharp system um, I think it will be the best bet. 
as you grow your outreach, you know, what resources do you, would you say you need to be, like a better term, more effective? Um, I think just getting the the message out to me will make be effective and to have actual leaders sit down and listen to us. I know Heath does that, but I feel like we need a survivor panel. We need a panel of MST survivors and have leaders go to that and le learn from us and sit down and talk with us and understand what's going on and what we need to do to improve. So I definitely, I would like to have that. Well, let's talk about leaders for a second. You and I both know that being an officer or a leader in the military has become very political, very, how do I look, make me look good, you know, and, and my troop, staff, whatever, it's just to get me to my next career run. Mm -hmm. So it's my understanding that is why the reluctance is there to, to meet this head on. But I would think that if I'm a, a leader and one of my people come to me with this problem, it would actually be a good thing to show that I meet this head on. And I unequivocally sit there and make the statement through my actions that if you mess with one of my people, I will bring as much punitive action against you as I possibly can. Wouldn't that be a strength? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't us enlisted respond to that a lot better than just seeing it swept underneath the rug? Correct. It's about being human. We forget human. We're soldiers and we're, we're these military members and we forget what the human aspect of leading we just think leading is getting, you know, getting the mission done. We're so mission driven that we forgot the part of being human. And so that's the part we need to go back to it. Remember, what if this is your child? What if this was your, your right. niece, your other, you have to remember that. And we're forgetting that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so you have this conference coming up in Florida mm -hmm. uh, later this month. I think it starts on the weekend of the August 26, 26 and 27th, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Would you tell me about that? Because, you know, I've seen a lot of MST survivors are starting to do what you want them to do. You want them to pull together and be that panel. What's this conference going to be about, Kadrian? So this conference is going to be about us sharing our story. It's going to be um, veterans. And we're just going to talk, and mostly MST survivors. Um, so we're going to sit down and talk about what we went through, the processes that are broken, what needs to uh, fix it moving forward. Our job is to make sure that the new generation of military members do not have to go through what we went through. That is our job. And also to be a voice for those who feel like they can't um, say anything. So this is going to be us talking about what we have, what resources we have. We will have therapists there. We will have um, and we will give out resources so they can understand um, what it takes to heal. So the, at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to help everybody just get some kind of support and just let them know, let our story be heard. Is this going to be an annual conference or, you know, are you going to have it in different locations next year or is this just a one-time thing? So I think we're just starting out. I hope, I know we're going to continue moving forward. We just want to make sure that we have the support, but I think this is going to hopefully be annually. Um, we're just starting out with this. But I think it'll be annually. And I think um, looking at different locations, hopefully if we have more support and resources, we can move it around to different locations. 
but yes, I definitely think this is going to take off. Well, I will, I will say this, Lakedra, you know, talking with he, talking with others and talking with yourself, I do want you to know that you have support here. You know, I, I feel very strongly about this because, you know, it's, it's, it's not really a promise, right? It's, it's this, it's the young child or, you know, I say young child, but they kind of are signing their name on the dotted line. It's not their parents or family, but the implied promise is, okay, you know, I'm going to take your kid instead of going to college or trade school, we're going to put them into a job where they might get hurt, but I'm mm -hmm. going to do everything I can to protect them. And that's, that's kind of been broken. Yeah. And, and so I want to support those people like yourself who are bringing light to this. So right. you, you have my support. You have Thank my support. you. I, I really wanted you to understand that. Um, as we, as we kind of wind this down, you were in a couple of questions. You, you were, an, you were an MP for 10 years. I, I, I had to say that. But that being said, did you ever in your MP time have to deal with an MST issue? I did. And the words that were said was another reason why I didn't say nothing at the time, because it was a male on male. And it wasn't, um, I think it triggered me. It really triggered me. And I, I had to leave. I couldn't. I had to go. But it was the fact that people were saying, you know, oh, I'm, I'm trying not to say it, but, oh, he's so, gay so, so or this, he deserved sorry. it or he was drunk or, you know, he was, you know, flirting or those things that you say. It was like it, we're they're supposed to support them. And you're making these comments outside of the room, which the guy probably could have heard us. You know what I mean? So it, it was it doesn't matter how how you look or how you are. It doesn't matter what sex, gender you are. Everybody gets sexually assaulted. Anybody is anybody is able to, but to shame them for saying anything or calling them gay or whatever because it happened. Because in that answer, that person you know may may not have been. It may just been drunk, and somebody took advantage of them. You know, so it's that it hurts to see it. So that's why the judgmental piece. I was I couldn't. I was struggling. I struggled. As you reflect back, because you you did retire just recently, and 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 you're you're not in the military anymore. If, if you had to go back and do it again, would you join the military? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I would. Yeah. And the only reason why is because it made me a fighter. Um, it made me understand resiliency. If I would have stayed home, I would have been in the streets doing things I shouldn't be doing. But it showed me that I can bounce back from anything. That's what the military taught me. And it taught me to become a leader. I wasn't born a leader, but I was made into one. So that's what I would I would do it all over again if I could. So you said you're a mother and you you have, you know, children of your own. Mm -hmm. you, you know, what's it like living the example that you want them to follow? Um, there sometimes they have to remind me to be a mom because I want to fight. So I have to tell them, I have to help them understand why I'm doing it. And so um, it's just making sure they understand, you know, what's going on in the world and just being, um, helping them see things through different lenses, but also, you know, I have to, they're, they're my backbone. Um, awesome. I have to make sure I take awesome. care of. Yeah. 
so what's the name of the conference again in Florida? Just don't want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, so it's the MST conference, but it's um they're trying to change to more military sexual assault because trauma is what happened after it occurred. So we're trying to change it to the military sexual assault conference. Um, so it's a great, I'm so excited for it. Our coming together is to make sure we are in the fight and not just talking. So that's what we're we're focusing on, actually action and not talking. So great. Well, again, you have my support. And, you know, I want to say I, I just really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing so openly and candidly about what's going on. And I think I think this is what people need to understand and hear. You know, they, they, a lot of people don't understand this because if in the civilian world, if this happens, there's a very different way it's handled. Right. Uh, it's very immediate, very abrupt. And it's it's continued training as a manager. I'm a manager. There's things I'm supposed to do without delay if one of my staff comes and tells me this has happened to them. It's just expected. And I think that is missed on the military side. So I want to thank you for for sharing. And again, you know, what a story. This happens to you. You carry this weight around and you find a way to help others through that. It's just really impactful, Lakedra. Thank you so much. Well, as we say on Oscar Mike Radio, Lakedra, uh, we are mission in flight. We hope your mission takes off and, you know, successfully uh, keeps launching. And again, thank you. And I'd like to talk to you again if you'd like to. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. So that is it, folks. Uh, I'm going to have some links in the Oscar Mike Rio show post where you can follow along with LaCadra and support her mission and understand that, you know, you can make change wherever you are. Thank you again.